Hemingway List podcast to wrap up Buttonbrooks. We're done, finished. You know, I um, thought yesterday was the final episode, but of course I forgot about the wrap-up one. So our one-week sabbatical will start today after this episode, which means we'll be back on the 17th to start our next book, which is the Oxford Book of Verse. Uh, We're reading the Gutenberg version. Um, so that's the one in the public domain. It's the older version. I think there's a, an updated version from more recently. I think it's still quite old, but nope, we're reading the original one. All right. You can read whichever one you like, but you might fall out of line with the daily readings if you read a more modern version. Now, Zoc, who's one of the moderators of the subreddit, has posted a couple of interesting things. Uh, first of all... Um, some pictures of the characters. So I guess it's people that the characters were based on, which is from the Wikipedia of Buttonbrooks. Interesting to look at them, although they just kind of look like old-fashioned black-and-white early photography photos, you know, you can kind of imagine it. Um, But also, what's this? It's Hemingway List reading of Buttonbrooks 2022 statistics, and it's some kind of a graph. Um, Okay, the, the Discussion Threads Hall of Fame. With the number of comments. Alright. It's, um... How does this work here? I'm sorry, I'm... Oh, and it's graphed by the, the, um... The sections of the book. The, the parts. So there's 11 parts and the graph shows how many comments per part. And obviously, you know, it's obviously going to start with the most on, like, chapter one. That always has the most comments. And it dwindles for a little bit. And you can see, kind of, book one is the hottest with the most comments. Um, Kind of averaging, I'd say, around 15 per day. Somewhere around there. And it does drop off, which you'd expect. But it doesn't drop off that much. The conversation stays up there. I would say the average drops to about an eight or something like that. Eight to ten comments per day. Um, but still plenty of days where, you know, we're hitting 20 comments or near enough. So, um, it's good to see, you know. Like this subreddit, you often think people will drop off as time goes on. But people are joining all the time. They, they jump in right at the end of books and they catch up and they join us for the next book. And it's brilliant. Anyway... Um, who do you think, I'll give you two seconds to guess, who had the most comments during our reading of Buttonbrooks? Drum roll. It's really down to two people, isn't it? The names you hear every night. It is Techrific with 218, but very close behind, Swim said the Mama Fishy with 200 comments. So there you go. And those two are the clear leaders. The next highest, the third highest, would be Laura Weiss-Stitch with 97 comments. And it drops. We've got TA131901, Zoc, Star415, Jan Brunt, Acoustic Eels, Dorstang, and Hajio Moron. Very cool. There's a few other names that I'm sure would be on the remainder of the list. But thank you to everyone who comments and gets involved and enjoys the books. So with that said, let's comment on the book. The discussion prompts, I had a few extra ones today because we're not just discussing this chapter, we're discussing kind of the whole book. The family in its final state of decline with this final chapter. And it seems like the victory is given to Sesame. Why was the last say given to Sesame? 
It felt, though, like the story of Hanno in the end, in a way. And what are your thoughts on the chapter and the whole book? Cole Pam says, Hey everyone, I found your threads some week ago, some weeks ago, as I was also reading Bottom Brooks. Today I actually also finished it, so I feel like I can contribute a, book, a bit. I really didn't understand the very last sentences. What does Sesame mean? I guess it implies all of the Buttonbrooks will soon die out. This could be seen as the whole societal class of rich semi-aristocrats <clears throat> coming to an end. With an emancipation of lower classes, that's why Sesame gets the last word. Man very much believed in this as well before the Third Reich. I enjoyed the book. It's one of the absolute classics uh, from my country, and I can see why. Most impressive to me is man's young age when writing this. I am 20, and such a task is unimaginable to me. Definitely has some big issues when the story focuses on Hanno. The book changes in style a lot, but not for the worse. I definitely don't regret reading it. Well, very good. Um... I, I really like the book, if I may chime in with my opinion. I, I From the Hemingway list so far, it's in, you know, it's probably in the top three or four books we've read uh, for me. Top five. I'm going to put it in the top five. I can't think of what the other four would be above it. Um, I did like the Stephen Crane books, though, uh, the two short stories, so I guess that's two of them gone. And I'd say War and Peace is probably at the top of the list for me personally. But this this was one of the better books, I thought. Uh, it did have its flaws, but I think just classic literature has its flaws because it's just from a time before the editing process was as refined as it is now, I think. Or maybe the editing standards were different, or maybe the editing goals were different. Maybe they were very good at editing. They just were trying to do something different. Techrific says, I think this... Uh, referring to Colpam's comment uh, about why Sesame gets the last word. Is it about the emancipation of the lower classes? I think this is a good political reading of it. I think man put it there with intent. In the end, only the women remain. Christian is locked away in an institution, and it's not likely that he'll ever get out. Maybe that's a good thing for Christian. So when all is said and done, when all the games have played out, all the schemes, the hopes and dreams, the despair, the desperation is over... What remains are the women, Gerda, Sesame, her old pupil, Tony. Notice that the book begins with Tony, and here she is at the end as well, a youngish 50 years old woman, plenty of life left in her. It even mentions, doesn't it, that she still looks youngish, youthful, I suppose. Her daughter, Erica, and old Glathilda, I wonder if she's still hungry. And then there's the mysterious ladies, Buttonbrook and Brita Strass, how old are they now? It's a great irony that the women are the only ones left alive at the battlefield. They've been dealt a reduced and circumscribed role in life, but in the end they're at least alive. Maybe this whole novel is one big ironic wink. If the family Buttonbrook's only purpose through the generations was to produce an artist having him die in typhoid, is such an ironic move by man, I wonder if he chuckled at his own little cleverness. If the point was to trace the genealogy of the, an artist, Hanno, it feels like an anticlimax. It feels more like a book about Tony and her failed and crushed Patrician dreams. And what about the minor character Sesame? I like Colpam's analysis, but I think she is more than a symbol of emancipation. She's been part of the story ever since Tony was sent to her 
in part two, chapter six, question mark. She becomes a friend and confidant of Tony, and despite being a minor character, we haven't forgotten about her even when she's not mentioned. And when she appears, it is memorable. Her Christmas reading and her Christmas entertainment, she's been part made part of the family, and even Thomas comforts Tony by mentioning her specifically. She acts like an older sister to Tony. Uh, and it's a great last line. It makes you think. It's a line I will carry with me from now on. It is so. Um, yeah, cool. Good analysis there, Tick, uh, Tech and uh, Colpam. It did. It was kind of a last line that kept you, left you thinking a little bit. And not just the last line. I'd say the last few chapters with Hanno. Like I feel. The focus on Hanno um, kind of felt to me like it was trying to tell us something in a way, you know. Um, Acoustic Eel says, Things I liked. Vivid, deep character build-ups over the course of the book and the main characters, and Hanno towards the end, a slice of life in 1800s Germany, the arc from childhood to adulthood for the main characters, a la war and peace, a la war and peace, Things I didn't like, irregular pacing, some incongruously long and descriptive chapters, nothing really happens, kind of fizzles out at the end. Overall, I wouldn't mind if I hadn't read it. I probably wouldn't recommend it to a friend. I think, Acoustic Eels, that we are pretty much on the same page there. I I liked it. I wouldn't recommend it to someone, just because there's better ones to, re- to recommend. The prose wasn't you know, so good that, you know, you feel you have to share it. The plot, same deal. The characters, same deal. Um, but it was readable, I guess. Star 415 says, I did enjoy the focus on Hanno at the end, maybe because I could relate more about his school anxieties than about the loss of social standing. Since man has was a closeted homosexual, the relationship between Hanno and Kai was heartwarming. Didn't know that. That's interesting kind of um, sheds a bit of light there, doesn't it? Wish Kai was invited to his bedside earlier, his only friend. So sad, that scene. Um, Tony self-engrossed till the bitter end, telling a grieving mother she loved her son more than her. No wonder. Gerda is moving. A question. Any idea why when Hemingway's list was written? I was wondering why he added Buddenbrooks rather than the Magic Mountain and the more philosophical one, probably to encourage the budding writer. Another question, would you as a reader prefer the subtitle of the book to have not been included? I feel as if an editor might have encouraged him to add it, to warn the reader this is not an upbeat read about a successful family. Yeah, I probably would say I would prefer that because it is, you know, spoiler, the the decline of a family. Um, I don't know though, like, anticipating the decline and wondering constantly, is this the decline? Uh, even, even knowing it's coming, but still, yeah, uh, it still was kind of a interesting thing to watch and wonder if it was the decline yet or not. So I don't feel like it's spoiled anything, but yeah, may I do prefer to go into books and movies and things like that, stories, I suppose, blind without really knowing much about what's going to happen. I can't even watch a film trailer these days. Like I watch the first half of the trailer or the first little bit until I get the gist of what kind of movie it is. 
But then the trailers just start uh, telling you the plot. And it's like they get three quarters of the way through the story just in the trailer and then leave sort of the ending out of the trailer. But it's like, no, I don't want to know the plot really at all. Even how it starts. I just don't want the plot in the trailer. I just want the vibe. What type of movie is this? Is it the kind of thing I like? I'm in or I'm out. Um, anyway, I got completely side uh, sidetracked there, but that's okay. Jan Brunt says, I have mixed feelings about this book. The best parts were the details that made the lives of the characters feel real. Small moments that felt true to life. The heavy air of a summer room. Paper napkins at the seaside restaurant. Tony's rhinestone dressing gown. Old Frau Bottenbrook's wig. Tom's horrible anniversary party. Hannah's Latin recitation. I felt like I experienced experienced a time that was gone long before I was born. A few small lives lived in a middle-sized merchant town on the Baltic. I actually visited Lübeck during an exchange program in high school, so I really enjoyed getting to visit it again in the 19th century. Oh, that's cool. On the other hand, throughout the entire book, it felt as though more interesting stories were happening all around our main characters, just beyond the scope of the novel. The pacing was jarring, as others have said. I also really hated the lit motifs throughout the book. They were a bit corny. Uh, They felt a bit like epithets in the Odyssey, but man is no Homer. And they really brought me out of the book. Is Clothilda a real character or a metaphor in the guise of a person? Does it even matter? I would actually agree with all of that too. Yeah, like um, what you said about it felt like the more interesting stories were happening like on the periphery of our characters and outside the scope of the novel. It really did feel like there was interesting stuff happening, but we weren't really part of it. Uh, I have to disagree with some of the other commenters because in a lot of ways this does feel like a book written by a 24-year-old. An exceptionally talented 24-year-old, but a young person nonetheless. The inner lives of the older folks, with the exception of Tom, feel a bit hollow, almost like how a young person imagines an older person feels without having real insight into the depths of life experience. Yeah, actually now you say that, um, it's not even just the older folks, though, in this novel. It kind of feels like you've kept at arm's length from nearly all of the characters, except with the exception of really Hanno, uh, and that's about it. Maybe Christian, but like even Tony, you kind of get in her head, but not not to the extent that you do with a lot of other good novels. So it really does feel a bit like that. Like the 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 author didn't really know how to project himself into other situations other people's lives like a good author does and um, yeah well said actually now that you say that I, I do completely kind of see it through that lens Jan Brunt alright I think we'll leave it there actually I'll read this uh, one more comment um TA131901 says, I thought Buttonbrooks was a pretty enjoyable but obviously flawed novel. I wouldn't put it on a uh, great book list, but I liked reading it. We analysed each chapter pretty closely, but in the end I felt Buttonbrooks made a stronger impression when you look at the whole thing from afar. It really is an effective portrait of a decline of a family over the decades, if you can forgive some missteps like the Grunlich stuff. 
I still think there's nothing particularly bad or wrong about Butterbrooks. They're normal people acting in ways appropriate to the social class of the era. Their predictable mistakes add up. The business climate isn't in their favor anymore. And in the end, it all ends badly. But that in itself is normal. Families rise and fall. What can you do? Sounds like Morton and Herman, the kid Tony once kissed for a lemon bun. For example, were doing pretty well by the end. And now it's their time to shine. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It is a book that I feel like when I finished it and looked back at it through that lens of hindsight, um, it, it does feel more like one complete thing, if that makes sense. Not really, but you know what I mean. All right. If I didn't get around to reading your comment, I apologize. Um, but I'm going to leave it there. I think we've done, uh, justice to bottom brooks. We've picked it apart. If anyone's ever studying this book in an exam and they stumble upon this podcast or this um, discussion forums, I think they'll uh, be pretty well sorted. Cool. All right, guys. I will see you in a week. Wish me luck with my week off. I don't know how I'm going to feel about it, but uh, here we go. (laughs) See you soon. Mm -hmm.